The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you for this ride. We've all heard, oh, 20 is the new 30, 30 is the new 40, and so on. There's probably a degree of truth to it. Now, those who fall in the age cohort of 45 to 64 may all be called middle-aged. What makes the new middle-aged new? And we share with you what's made us happy this week in Roundtable's happy place. For today's program, I'm joined by Huang Shen and Tony Reed in the studio. First on today's show, however you define the middle age age range, every year new people enter midlife for the first time. Time marches on. You gotta roll with it. Now the Chinese population over the age of 45 has reached 600 million. Those born in the 1970s have officially joined the age club of midlife. The way they plan their life, spend their money, and understand the lifelong subject of aging is quite different from predecessors. So, who is the new middle-aged in China? How would you describe them? This new age cohort refers to those born in the 1970s who witnessed the hard times in the history of the country and also obtained the earliest reform. Dividend of the era,、uh, you know, when China promoted its reform, opening up comprehensively in early 1990s, this group of people just entered the society, and they have witnessed the rapid progress of productivity, the vigorous social development, and many other opportunities. Apparently. Many of them, especially those who live in first-year cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, or Shenzhen, and Maybe they had a chance to purchase houses at the time of a lower housing price and before the large-scale price hike, and have mastered one of the most important assets in their lives earlier, thus gaining stronger consumption power. And those born in the 1970s began to enter the period of middle-aged now, and the new middle-aged represented by them has experienced many economic dividends in the society and has achieved high wealth accumulation in some cases. Um, it can be expected that in the next five to ten years, they will continue to be one of the most affluent generation by、oh. comparison. Right,、mm. by comparing to the previous generations.、Mm. And I just like to highlight a couple of numbers. So let's say if it's somebody who's born in 1978, then this year this person would be 45, celebrating <laughs> the birthday of 45. And and yeah, so. 
you know, those folks born in the tail end of the 1970s would officially join what's called middle-aged or whatnot. So, mm. Tony, you're from the U.S. Do you have like a similar way of sort of placing these um, age cohorts of people here and there? No. Long, long answer or the short answer is no, because uh, it's a little bit different. I think it's contingent on the country. I mean, Huang Chan was mentioning how um, the 70s is kind of a time frame uh, here in China where if people were born in that age group. They may be considered part of the would that also be the baby boomer generation here? In, no. It, it would be a little bit... Baby boomers generation has a completely different uh, connotation here. I think that's mostly yeah. American. How would you paint the baby boomer generation as well in uh, the U.S.? It gets a little bit more complicated. All so, right, okay. Um, according to generations.com, and this is an authority on age-based uh, research, there's kind of two categories. Mm. So there's the early boomer and this was new for me uh, these are teens that grew up in the 60s and so i guess the time frame is uh the individuals born between 1946 and 1954 so they experienced a lot of different things you know a new economic landscape after the war mm. uh the landing or the moon landing the rise of the counterculture so you have you know different uh, a lot of different mindsets there. Um, the new roles of women, you know, emerging again after the war. And then you have another generation or similar in that same time frame called the Generation Jones. Not sure where that, that name Jones comes from, <laughs> but these are teens that grew up in the 70s. And this is between 1955 through 1964. And other things were happening. You had de-industrialization. Uh, you had the whole Watergate thing that happened. Uh. Uh, birth control started to be more pervasive in the, in the country. Uh, two working parents, divorce. So all of these things. And so it's kind of broken up into these two areas. So this time frame, 1946 to between uh, 1964. So this would classify as kind of the baby boomer uh, generation. Obviously, my parents fall into that category. But, you know, I, I don't see these individuals as old. I kind of put them in this middle age era. And I'm not sure if that's because... Even for the boomer generation? Even for the boomers, really, because... Uh, I, but that's I, such a huge group, though. It is a huge group. Yeah. And I feel that... And again, this is backed up by another site that I was on. Um, some research by a uh, U.S. research platform, uh, Journal PLOS1, <laughs> if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But the definition of age kind of changes with time. Yeah. You know, 200 years ago when uh, we would look at the age of 60, when people would pass away at around 60, this would be a really old age. But these days, you know, with technological advancement, and uh, a little bit more um, knowledge on, you know, diet and lifestyle. People are living a lot longer. So when people say uh, 50 or 40, I'm not even sure how to say it correctly. 60 is the new uh, 70 or, ah. you know, it's like you, you they shave off a decade, which is kind of nice. It makes people feel that they're younger. And we see it a lot in popular media. And I think that this also propagates this idea too, right? 
Everyone knows who Jennifer Aniston is, right? From Friends. Rachel. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> we were on you know break. her by the name of the on her role, right? Yeah. She's in her fifties, and to me, she doesn't look. I wouldn't classify her as an old person. I mean, she still looks stunning. Stunning, right? Yeah. You know, Salma Hayek, Halle Berry. Don't forget um, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, right? <laughs> I, I think she might be pushing sixty, isn't she? Somewhere in this range. But she still, I mean, a lot of them look great. And I think that that's also something that inspires a lot of us to feel like, hey, you know what? They're doing it. They're doing it all right. Vin Diesel, he's always playing these roles where he's relatively like a, a younger guy. But he's, uh, you know. What about The Rock? <laughs> the Rock, too. You know, I mean, he also takes care of himself. So, And I see that in terms of the trends mm. of people in this age group. A lot of that is focused on appearance, fitness, and I can, you know, get into that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think that translates into ordinary people's lives as well. Because yeah. just look at our parents or, you know, folks around who are... 60s, 70s-ish. Or whatever it is. It seems like <laughs> people do look quite young in comparison to what it used to be decades ago. So mm. it has something to do with health, with the way you dress, and how... You carry yourself, your demeanor and right. stuff. How you think. Yes, and how you feel about yourself. And this is a little bit too personal or just off the point a little bit. But maybe mm. I can sort of drive it back home some way. But like even for myself, like when I'm a 30-something-year-old mm -hmm. and I wear sometimes um, these statement t-shirts or jackets or whatever with these prints on it. And then, <laughs> yeah. And when I look at myself, sometimes I'm like, huh, shouldn't it be like a 20-something-year-old be wearing this? And now be like, if you wear a special edition of The Symptoms, you know, 20th anniversary t-shirt uh, to work, and which is okay. And, um, you know, did you consider that as 30-something-year-old behavior? But, you know, if you pair it up nicely and, you know, make it presentable, yeah. and I think that is something you can do. But so, yeah, I think age or what you should do according to what age limit it should be, it's all up in the air these days. These days, yeah. yeah. And as I mentioned, some I mentioned some stars that look great for their age and i think at one time it's like oh you're in your 50s why are you dressed that way mm -hmm. i mean why is your hair still long I, i've heard this even it's like you know why you're, you're in your 60s or you're in your 50s why is your hair still long you should just cut it you know and How it's strange yeah just man like, or women uh, <laughs> i've heard it from both and it's All just right. like oh this person still has a young appeal mm. and this and that and uh and sometimes it's looked upon positively and negatively so i think it just really depends on how you feel or how people, society feels that you should be behaving or dressing. You mentioned the prints on your shirts and stuff like that. I used to wear shirts that had these like taglines and stuff across. Yeah, yeah. And I don't wear them anymore. And I think that's probably because, maybe because I feel like, well, maybe I'm too old for that. But Try I don't... Try it again. Let's, yeah. let's do that again on Monday, you know. <laughs> let's, let's join forces and yeah. redefine what age means in the office. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. You know, I think we can all learn a lesson from iconic Shanghai aunties. I don't know if you guys have ever bumped into no. a group of Shanghai aunties, you know. Sometimes they will wear chi pao or mm. cashmere coat, depends on which is the season, right? And they mm. will pose with silk scarves, show up in tourist attractions. If you would like to figure out 
what is the most trendy locations in the city or what is the up-and-coming KOL spot to be just look at the post on Douyin, Xiaohongshu, and other social media shared by those uh, Shanghai aunties. I when you say aunties, what age group are you thinking? I think they're in their 50s, just oh. retired, and they have a decent amount of pension to enjoy. And what's more is like they may have the pressure of taking care of the grandchildren, mm. but they also have um, a very strong support system in the city, in the they family. still have a life, huh? Yes, and I really <laughs> appreciate their attitude to work life and some also not aunties ankles as well usually they will start the day with a branch in a very fancy straight let's say Hengshan road and after that they will pair their branch with a cup of coffee later they will go into the well maybe let's say the number eight of Hengshan road and they will get several scoops of gelato that's their day and they will <laughs> hang out with their best friends and sometimes like, they will exchange fashion tips and what are the latest fashionable items they have purchased mm. and what about the family chores and also recommend some news and to their best friends you know it's a very rosy picture of a decent <laughs> retirement life looks like so they can enjoy the sunshine amount retired uh, people around them gossiping away without a care in gossiping. the world that's always that's fun. great i really um, i really admire these ladies simply enjoying gelato al fresco style is probably how I would retire too. So when you look at them, I think it's a great chance to learn that it's time to throw out stereotypes. Maybe, yeah, the celebrities are taking good care of themselves, but the positive attitude toward life can also be applied to everyday people. Mm -hmm. But still, this is in Shanghai, a very fashionable, fancy city with a very vibrant culture in enjoying your life. And also it depends on your family's like financial condition. I don't think this is a very, well, this could be a widespread trend, but I know it's not everyone is on the same page. So I feel like it's great to see like people belong to this age cohort are enjoying their life. Mm. And being retired at in your 50s or early 60s or what number that could be, I would be looking forward to it, but I would not be surprised if I'm still working yeah. at that age because we did belong to a different age group and right. retirement might look quite different when folks of the millennial generation all over the world, you know, when we get to that age. And also, I just like to say the oldest millennial generation or just anybody really who consider themselves quite young, just, you know, lo and behold, and in a few years time, you'd be discussed on Roundtable if this show still exists as the new middle age or whatever it is. Because, you know, this is every year, you know, like we're marching on in our lives and the right. age just keeps on adding up just like that. Also, I think there is relevance for Tony bringing up the boomer generation in the US because when you look at the new middle-aged generation here in China, and this is a relatively new term that people um, have coined, um, they're saying that maybe this group of people in China, the so-called new middle-aged, is seen to be more affluent than their parents' generation, like Huang Shen has mentioned. And some observers say that 
in a sense, they're similar to America's boomer generation. You know,、mm. after the war, when a lot of social change happens, and also people can enjoy the peace and prosperity of earning a good life、yeah. and enjoy your fruits of labor once you retire. So,、um, in China now, people are kind of saying, "Oh, maybe there is some level of resemblance there."、Um, do you have a comment in that sense, Tony? Well, enjoying the life, the lifestyle after retirement, is certainly something that's booming in a, in the U.S. for sure. And again, I I largely look at my my parents because they fall into this、uh, this category. I also came across an article on、uh, Yahoo Finance that detailed some of the areas that a lot of people within this age group like to spend their money. And、um, a lot of it wasn't really a surprise for me. Number one was housing, because、uh, isn't that yeah, part of the American dream? Yeah, having a house, paying it off for <laughs> until you drop. <laughs> But、uh, yeah, housing is a big deal, and that's where you know a lot of money goes. Unfortunately, I would say.、Um, But number two is、uh, dining out, and this is something that、uh, again. The lifestyle of just kind of living the dream, eating out—I think it's a—it's a feeling of p- getting pampered and eating at nice places. I'm not part of this generation, but I love it myself.、Um, the gym is another、uh, big area.、Uh, again, personal preservation, health,、uh, vacations, coffee,、uh, gifts, and、um, electronics. Kind of—it was kind of funny because、um, you know my mom isn't is kind of useless when it comes to electronics, but my dad, on the other hand, he's like a A guru? a guru of some sort, <laughs> yeah.、Uh, supplements, new clothes, you know, pet accessories, and、uh, some even are even going back to school、mm-hmm. to further their education. And I and when I say retirement, some of them are retiring from one job, but then they're starting another. And so, and which is the case for my parents, they've retired, and then they are picking up other forms of、uh, work to one to stay busy, obviously to. Increase their earnings to support their lifestyle of "quote unquote" the good life, you know, because sometimes these pensions and retirements are not enough, depending on you know your lifestyle. So yeah, it varies for everyone, but a lot of people are, are you know still grinding, still working, even in this age group. It's good, but it's still you know people still need to have something to do and and working and making money and spending and. And when you talk about the boomer generation, that effectively is middle-aged and older folks yeah, in, in, in the U.S. because、right. of you know the the explanation that you already provided for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Huangshan, what do you see as maybe the unique hallmarks that the new middle-aged generation in China has put on display? I would say tourism. I think tourism is one of the sectors has、uh, enjoyed the benefits brought by the consumption power of this age cohort, as data showed that the travel market of the middle-aged and elderly people surpassed 500 billion yuan. And a report published by online travel agency Ctrip revealed that people over 50 have become high-frequency travel users, and 65% of the elderly interviewed travel more than three times a year on average. This is very easy to understand because back in the days they were busy at work, maybe they didn't have time and chance to. Travel around in the country or even abroad. So now, when they are 
either retired or their、uh, work schedule is getting more relaxed, so they have the opportunity to pamper themselves a little bit and to travel around.、Um, judging from the data and interviews in the recent three years, we can see that、uh, the enthusiasm of the middle-aged and elderly people remained during the pandemic period in terms of traveling around. Um, the only change is that their destinations change from long-distance outbound destinations to short-distance nearby destinations. As now we have seen, like、uh, you know, the global outbound tourism is picking up. I'm pretty sure in the near future, maybe there will be a new trend, well, presented by this age cohort in terms of tourism. Yeah, and according to the data of the seventh national census in 2020, in China. There are 114 million people born in the 1970s who are now 45 to 50 years old. That's a lot of people, <laughs> and、um, these folks, most of them, I would think, are still working. And possibly, also, when you talk about being middle aged, it doesn't always sound very appealing, because. <laughs> You're also thinking about possibly the slew of responsibilities that one could be carrying. Could you're being sandwiched? If you have kids, they need to be taken care of. If you had babies early, then they'd be annoying teenagers at that age. So you need to look after them. And or if you don't have kids at all, then you might have pressure from that. Oh, oh, I was gonna say. Also, what about the other side of the coin, Tony? Then you're free from those responsibilities that, and you know, you can keep your purse, you know. Intact a little bit, a little bit more in that sense. Have some more money.、Huh? <laughs> Trying to be subtle about that, but you know, you said it well. And also, you know, the other side of the sandwich comes from looking after maybe elderly parents,、yeah. and depends on how involved you are. But still, in Chinese families, a lot of the times, parents expect some level of support from their grown-up kids, and. Rightfully so, in a way, because we have traditionally we have very tight and close family relationships, but that's also on the change or whatnot. So anyhow, there is also the grievances of being middle aged and also feeling the pressure at work. Needless to say, as long as you are working and part of the workforce, there is going to be stress and things that you need to worry about and. So yeah, there there is a lot of things that folks are shouldering when you're at that age. Actually, when we talk about the new middle aged, for me, maybe the new bit is that okay, you've got a new group of people who are now joining this age group, and they could be quite different from their predecessors in the sense that they might have a different idea in how they want to spend money. Because if you look at our grandparents' generation, okay, then. Rarely would they want to maybe spend on tourism, like Huangshan mentioned,、mm. or you know some of the leisure stuff. If you spend money on it, then you might think that you're being a little bit wasteful,、mm, setting yourself back a little bit. Maybe like that, or let's say you know going out to dine. You know, unless it's celebratory, special occasion, then why would you do that? But now with this new. Middle-aged generation. I don't think the any of the examples that I just mentioned would be bothering them in、mm. thinking, "Oh, I feel bad spending on that." Because、nah, why? Health, why would you? The health conditions haven't caught up with them yet, so they're still in denial. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Kuang Shen? Yeah, I think nowadays we are seeing media reports are pointing at one direction. 
and trying to tell us that maybe this age group, the so-called new middle-aged group of consumers, this group of people is becoming the main force of consumption. But the reality is that over the years, every one or two years, we are seeing a shift in the definition of the main force of consumption. Um, I think maybe several years ago, my generation, who born in 19, around like the 1980s, and we have been considered as the future main consumption power, and then gradually it have been shifted to those who were born in the 1990s. And now, I think just one or two years earlier, then Gen Zers, they are shouldering the responsibility of consume a little bit more. And now we are switching the target back to the new middle-aged group. So I think it's a very interesting trend. I'm thinking, is it just part of the marketing strategies? As I, we know, like other media reports are suggesting that young people repeatedly jump between rational consumption and credit consumption. And when one age group has grown out of consumerism, of course, brands will endeavor to unlock the potential of a new cohort of consumers. I don't know if this is part of the strategies or we, or is it true that we are really seeing more middle-aged people are splurging on things and trying to entertain themselves. Yeah, and we're not putting responsibility on anybody's shoulders. It's these media reports, you know, (laughs) these uh, surveys and trying to sort of sum up a phenomenon of some sort and also enticing some clicks, some views, and, you know, the drill on social media and and media these days. Mm. But what I find to be kind of interesting here, though, is that still you're seeing that these almost like buoys of age marks, they keep on being pushed further and further back. And yes, it probably does make you feel a little bit better, but also... It's probably inevitable in a good way, I suppose, when life expectancy of people have continued to become longer. And then, yeah, wait until 40 is the new 20. And uh, let us know what you think. You can email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. We'll be back after this break. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Huang Shen and Tony Reed in the studio. Coming up, who keeps the dog in a divorce? The Roundtable Musketeers will weigh in on developing pet custody disputes. And we share with you what's made us happy this week in our special segment, Roundtable's Happy Place. If you never send us a voice memo, there's no better time than now. Tell us what you think, what's better. Send us your audio questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your questions could be answered in our Heart to Heart segment. And it'd be great to include your name, the province or region you live in, so we know a little bit more about you. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable. In a divorce or breakup, couples may find it easier to agree on who gets the apartment, cash assets, the vinyl record collection. But how do you split your love for your pet? I refrain from using the term fur baby because it kind of... Why not? Because uh, it's kind of irksome in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's furry and baby. But anyway, you, but still, for animal lovers out there like Huang Shen, you know, you, you don't have a problem with that. 
I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, like, who in the studio is actually a huge animal lover? Because I think that that's really important for this discussion. So okay. I'll be sure to pick your brain on that a little bit. It, it, I can raise my hand, okay. I would say. And awesome. I have a nephew who is... You have a, a nephew? Wait have, a minute, we're talking about pets, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I have a nephew who is a French bulldog. Oh, so you yes. call your bulldog a nephew. A nephew. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because. My fur nephew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Tony, are you one of those people who would um, march in a similar band as uh, Huang Shen? Not sure if I would march in the band. <laughs> I think I would probably watch from afar and clap, <laughs> and clap my hands. But um, no, I can't say that I'm huge on, on the pet scene. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Bear that in mind and see how this discussion goes. All right. Because it might determine which camp you guys are supporting <laughs> in that sense. It's, it's funny. Like, it's like Huyang is instigating the two camps here. <laughs> okay. I love doing that. <laughs> and now lawyers are seeing more couples fight over custody of their pets. So they bring it to court and let a judge decide on who gets the dog or any other pet. So how did this judge in Ningbo, Zhejiang province rule? Yeah, a court in Ningbo has had to mediate between a couple seeking a divorce after they could not agree on custody of their pet corgi dog. Uh, the couple agreed to get divorced in March in 2022. The division of property between the two parties went smoothly. But when it comes to their pet dog, both of them could not give up the custody over the animal and turn to the court for a resolution, apparently from the man's side, right? His argument is that he says it is he who bought the dog, takes care of the dog carefully, <laughs> takes it to bed and help it takes his medicine. The dog is closer to him. I don't know how he get that. And compared to his ex-wife, also according to the ruling on property, he gets the apartment. So it will be better for the pet to live in a familiar house. Well, for the woman, the lady, she argued that however... She told the court that she deserved ownership of the dog because she's the one who has been taking care of the dog and walks the dog every day. Since the man is busy working all day, the dog has become an essential part of her daily life. I think it will be a very hard decision to make here. Right. Well, the really practical He Yang, the uh. inner voice of that part, is screaming, hold on, he got the apartment? Uh, <laughs> 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 Anyhow, we, we we don't know the details of yeah. the, right. the suit, so uh, the judge must have ruled according to the circumstance. So, Tony, what do you think about this? <laughs> you can't help but laugh. Why? I can't because it's just... <laughs> I don't know. I had never thought that I would be discussing something like this on the show uh, because I just never... We've talked about other more outrageous I stuff, know, just I not know. so often anymore. And I think it's just because I'm outside of this pet owner world that I'm just been... I have to dust myself off a little bit and <laughs> realize that there are people going to court to battle for custody of a dog or a cat. And it's just, to me, it's just so surprising um i mean my mindset is just like okay i'll just get another dog you know oh no but um, what about you, an emotional attachment <laughs> um uh, for me uh tony when, when you pet... have a baby uh -huh. can you just say oh i'll just get another baby uh that's a little bit different that <laughs> um, is a part I... of the family uh yes but i see 
pets largely for functional reasons. And I'll, I'll explain why. When Not I, emotional when support. I purchased my home. It massages your back. <laughs> <laughs> it says nice words to you. No, 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 no. It doesn't go into the house. Alice in a house? The purpose is to secure the property. So if anyone comes around like that I don't dog. want to be there, his job is to bark and alert me that he's there. And if that person ever thinks about coming onto my property, it'll tear his arm off. And that <laughs> is what I feed him and, and, and bathe him and take care of him for. And once we have this relationship, then I think that I could get, you know, attached. And I mean, he, he's doing his job and I'm doing mine as an owner. But if something happens and, you know, he's got to go, as long as he has a place to go and he's being fed and he's being taken care of, and I can, you know, visit him every once in a while, I think that's cool. <laughs> but I just get another dog and make sure that the functionality is still in place. You see, so I guess yeah. my mindset is a little bit different. I've had dogs before. Oh, okay. And my first dog was a Siberian Husky. Beautiful dog. Loved that dog. It bit someone, so we had to get rid of it. Oh. Um, and then I had another dog, a Pomeranian, and it was it lived for 17 wonderful years. Great dog. Passed on. Got another one. And so I think that dogs, with me, have a transient uh, relationship. And it's sad. The first one is the hardest. Yeah. And then the second one was also, it hit me really hard. But I think as time goes on and the more animals that you have, you know that they're here and then they're gone. And so I guess for me personally, I'm not speaking on behalf of pet owners, but I know that the time is limited and they, you know, they can be happy with other people as well. So I think for me in this instance, if the wife was fighting about the dog, I would just say, okay, keep the dog and I'll just get another one. And I know it's not exactly the same thing, but <laughs> nowadays with Chinese pet owners, increasingly common, Huangshan sort of hinted at it a little bit just now as well. People really compare animals pet animals to some extent to babies oh yeah mm. to some extent yeah yeah, I've yeah. Met some of these people some of these people have these pets in bed with them yeah. and they come to the dinner table and they feed them like they take a spoon and they like feed the the dog or the cat or whatever and it's 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 like they are yeah. a child and to me i just think it's bananas but yeah. to some people they bring in that they you know that that barrier has mm. been crossed yeah and so when that happens of course it's really They're, let's bring it to court then let's battle it out the civil <laughs> yeah, way yeah they wouldn't have to worry about that with me i yeah. would just be okay okay so we understand tony's stance here and Shen, what about you what do you think well also you know just present the case for those hardcore she's fervent... she's glaring at me guys in the studio <laughs> yeah, like, Shen was trying to... through the mic she's just looking at me yes. like oh this guy is, this yeah. guy is soulless <laughs> so what do you think Shen? i i even forget to mention i have an another niece you know from and my husband's another side bulldog no she is a, a british long hair cat oh, yeah okay. her name is muffin she's really really cute i remember when my brother-in-law uh he was talking wait, wait, about brother-in-law is this an actual person or <laughs> yes yes this is an actual person oh, okay, okay. so when my brother-in-law was describing his cat <laughs> which is muffin right and she used a word like oh she's the first child in his small family because now he's having a son and he would tell his son oh this is your bigger sister so the cat is the oldest child in his family mm. so i think many people are regarding their pets 
has their babies. I read somewhere a very extreme case in Beijing. So sometimes the parents will use the same standard to educate their pets as well. This is an example of a tiger slash helicopter mom in Haidian district. If you're familiar with districts in Beijing, you know that, wow, that is the city's famous university district where parents are infamous for splurging on extracurricular courses, activities, or maybe not courses, but activities and mm. having high requirements on the kids' academic performance. So it, the story starts with this, like the mom found that her daughter or son, I forgot, but her kid, right, is very lonely. Mm. Then the mom just bought a dog to offer the companionship for her kid. And gradually, she thought, why not? I just train my dog, I don't know about the gender of the dog, but like into a pet show star. And then she starts to train the relevant technique skills for the dog. And gradually she brought her dog to the pet show and wanted to claim a championship like in that competition. So, well, many people are treating Did she their- win? Oh, I, I didn't follow the story, you know, <laughs> but I think it's a very good example, like how you treat your human being kid with your fur kid in the same way. And I think that's the reason why people are trying to fight for the custody of a pad. And I'm not very happy with the settlement because like, according to the media report, it seems like uh, uh, the two parties, they finally reached an agreement over the ownership of the pet dog, which was rude to belong to the man, but a woman can visit it by appointment. This is very similar to how you decide the custody of a real kid because it will be given to one side of the family and then mm. the other party will occasionally visit a kid uh, based on appointments. So I think it's very interesting to see this development. Yeah, and that's not just something here in China. It's uh, I, I'm speaking on behalf of myself for listeners out there. I, I don't reflect Americans. <laughs> okay, I just want to throw that out there. I was reading on uh, animallaw.info and uh, I guess according to a survey, 85% of Americans see pets as uh, family members and in 2017, I believe Alaska was the first to consider this factor and uh, started to, you know, get some litigation for pets in terms of custody. And California followed suit in 2019. So these, this is it's kind of um, relatively new legislature that uh, is taking place here. And they factor in who looks after the pet. This is one factor uh, in terms of uh, custody, uh, who takes them to the vet. Uh, who feeds them, who the pet is attached to more. Again, I'm not sure how they assess that. And provide more comfort and safety. Mm. So these factors are, are really important when the court decides who gets you know full custody and visitation rights and all that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it just so. sounds very much like a human child. Yeah, in yeah, that sense. I would I would say yeah. so. But according to the law uh, in the U.S. and the U.K., apparently for a long time, the pet has been seen as property. You just yeah. don't. Okay, I know this probably doesn't sound great for a lot of hardcore pet owners, but that's just what the law says. Yeah, yeah, property. So, <laughs> yeah. So, why do you think that this could be such an emotional battle for? people who take their pets very seriously. In many households, sometimes the pet is serving as a kid because like the pets are offering the emotional support 
for the owners, and sometimes they are the source of companionship right. the owners can get. And、uh, you will be fascinated by some extreme examples of how generous pet owners could be,、uh, because I think I read somewhere and there was a man in East China and spent around. Thirty-five thousand yuan building a two-story air-conditioned villa for his dog, <laughs> and then there on the second floor of the villa, it contains a very large futon for each pet and features a very large window looking onto the back of the owner's house, several meters away, and also for some、uh, empty nest elderly people. Usually, they are taking care of their pets and trying to seek that、uh, emotional. Attachment from their cats or dogs depends on your preference. And when、right? you say empty nest, what do you mean by that? Yeah,、exactly. those elderly people, they their kids are away. Maybe they、okay. are they are moving out, and、uh, well, if they're lucky, I think their kids are working in the same city. But in many cases, maybe they stay in one city, and their kids are. Maybe not kids, like their children are working in another city.、Right. So usually they won't visit the elderly parents very frequently. So you know, in order to deal with that loneliness and trying to find an emotional support, they like to raise a pet,、right. and maybe they will walk the dog or play with a cat every day. So gradually, this little furry friend. Will become part of the family. Sure, sure. I've covered lots of stars on my show,、uh, Pop Muse, and I recently covered someone who had a string of abusive husbands <laughs> and、um, had a lot of issues. And in the end,、um, she didn't have companionship other than a dog. And also, even in the, and again, I can't recall the artist, but there are people who have left money, millions of dollars, and wills to a pet. As opposed to you know other members of family, so it's it's clear that animals can serve a purpose in terms of、um, being in that replacement. You have people these days who don't want to have children, and these are what we would call the middle age or you know people that are a bit younger. They don't want to have kids, so instead they have pets. Could be in a form of a replacement for that as well. But it's it's companionship. It's it's a, a void that they're filling with. The pet, so、um, it certainly has、uh, its place. So I can kind of understand, but I, you know, and also the Gen Z people who are big pet owners, and I wouldn't be surprised that in the future we're going to see more news about how people are handling their pets and the intimate relationship、mm. that they are so connected with their pets, and that seems to be. The world we live in these days. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, we invite you to our happy place. Delivery, delivery, delivery. What is it? Happiness from Roundtable. Huangshan, let's start with you. What's your happy place? Ah,、uh, this week my happy place is that my favorite band. They are making a strong comeback with their original name, cause that band 
change its name to Yuding Mi over a name trademark dispute with previous boss and producer several years ago, and they finally got their original name back in mm. 2022. And recently, they officially announced on social media that they are making a comeback with their original band name, which is Soda Grain. And this reminds me of my another. Happy place, which is a concert, because the most recent concert I went to was back in 2019 by one of the members of this band, who is Wu Qingfeng. But you know, I I've also attended many other concerts, no matter in China or in Korea. I think it's also important to differentiate the different vibe concerts have in different cities. In the mainland, there is an all-seater stadium rule, which means everyone sits comfortably and listen to the performance. Conversely, I have been to a Choice of One concert in Hong Kong SAR, and over there, it's standing concert, which means everyone crowds to the very front. But unfortunately, it means you cannot really see anything or enjoy anything. If you shuffle to the side, you might have a more enjoyable angle and Time, but a good thing is that you are really in the zone and can dance along to the music. I really love the energy of concerts, the passion, and how all the wristbands all chime together with each beat of the singer. I've been to concerts and really get involved with the atmosphere. When I search online about what's behind the magic of live music, I really appreciate the explanation that concerts give you the chance to truly be yourself as. It's a judgment-free zone. What's more, concerts are a bonding experience and can bring people of different cultures and backgrounds together in a very peaceful way.、Mm. So there are many concerts that I'm eager to go in the coming year, like Eason Chan or Taylor Swift. Now I've heard if you want to, in some concert, if you want to have a backstage pass at concert, you need to have the most outrageous signboards with you. So I hope you can go to your favorite concert in the coming year. Oh, I would love to do that. And、mm-hmm. I used to be picky, and I can't believe. Basically, in the last three years, when I look back, oh, there's that concert, and they came to Beijing. I didn't go see them. You would <laughs> never be able to foresee the future. And now, anybody, any concert, as long as it's being held in Beijing, I'm going. And <laughs> ticket sold, just like that. Okay, so Tony, what is your happy place this week? Uh, my happy place this week is、uh, a little unorthodox, but、um, I grew up listening to excerpts from a freedom fighter named、uh, Malcolm X,、uh, and、um, and the teachings of、uh, you know Elijah Muhammad, and、uh, he had a profound impact on my community in terms of like you know knowledge, self love, and、uh, community based、uh, reconciliation and. I recall the trauma of hearing, you know, in the newspapers、uh, and movies and online, you know, literature、um, that claimed that it was, you know, his own organization that was behind his assassination. And I struggled with that for decades. You know, like how could someone that was so, you know, such a, you know, a voice for freedom, justice, and equality, taken out by our own people? You know, and I, I you know, I felt like there was something more to the story. But you know, nothing ever surfaced. But recently, or in the you know, in the past few years, it's come to light that、uh, the individuals that went to jail for him were wrongly convicted、mm-hmm. and exonerated. And、um, that was,、um, I mean, the state's paying them millions of dollars for this wrongful conviction. And the daughter of this、um, of Malcolm X is coming forward and suing the state of New York for a hundred million dollars. 
for the cover-up of um, you know the FBI and the CIA of her father's assassination and I don't know it's just uh it's kind of a, a slight victory and it's just great to hear that some of those things that uh a lot of us felt and uh you know just some of the the injustices that have happened are coming to light and are being addressed and I think that that's uh it doesn't happen very often but it it, it is happening in my lifetime and it's just kind of cool to see that uh, there's room for improvement and growth in our society. It gives, a, I guess it gives us an, an opportunity to to heal. Mm. Mm. Well, that's quite a somber turn from our <laughs> usual yeah. uh, happy place um, offerings. But thank you very much, Tony, for presenting that. And yeah. yes, I also with the racial tensions and the legacies as such in the U.S., people need to read more, understand more about it to get to really understand yeah the weight of it and yeah how it's uh it affects not just certain communities but really the world yeah so thank you very much tony for bringing layer and texture to our discussion mm. and our happy place all right and this week i have two happy places to share with you my first happy place involves another podcast and this particular episode came out a few months ago, but I listened to it again this morning, and it was a beautiful, heartfelt, and moving experience. It's episode 49, titled Outlet of Angst of the Podcast Pop Muse. <laughs> the mastermind of the podcast happens to be on the show today. Mr. Tony Reed, hello. Yes, and also I happen to be on that show that day too. For me, it's usually excruciating pain to listen to my own work. The imperfections and blemishes stick out like a sore thumb, poke in the eye, and I only listen back to find ways of improvement. But this one was good. And I got to talk about my favorite band. Am I allowed to say who they are? Yeah, you can. So there is an expiration date on spoilers, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Spoiler alert. As long as you tell them in advance. Yes. Lincoln Park! And getting to talk about it with my friends and colleague Tony Reed. I mean, yes, this is a pop quiz show, but that episode for me, it goes beyond that. And it was my honest and raw feelings of detriment, healing, and salvation. It's important to find your catharsis and catalyst in life. Maybe episode 49 of Pop Muse is a good starting point. <laughs> yes. All right. Yep. And my second happy place should be titled Swan Lake. It's a season of green shoots and new beginnings. Right now we are at. So just allow yourself to take on the warmer season in stride with possibly my second happy place. A bevy of 20 white swans were seen flying over Kunming Lake in the Summer Palace, turning Kunming Lake into a swan lake last Saturday. And over the last few days, more flights of white swans have taken a brief stop in the lakes in Beijing on their way back to the north. The stop of such enchanting swan guests may be very short, often just a couple of hours, it attracts local conservationists, tourists, and photographers alike. You can hear people holding their breath in awe of these beautiful creatures. If they're so gracious and staying till sunset, the scenery is as stunning as an oil painting. Early spring is the season of migration of birds. Aside from swans, there are also goosanders, mallards, 
gulls, egrets, and other birds enjoying the parks and lakes in Beijing. Don't disturb them. Keep the environment safe and sound for wildlife, and that benefits humans too. And it would be nice to have some music to send you off with. And why not with this one? What a wonderful world! By Louis Armstrong, and that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Tony Reed and Huang Shen, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. You have a beautiful weekend. We'll see you next time. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself.